This is a commonspace.eu podcast. From the city of The Hague, welcome to Global Europe Unpacked, a podcast about Europe's engagement with its neighborhood and wider world. You know, the last major initiative of this kind was the Convention on a European Constitution that was organized in the 90s. Hello and welcome to another episode of Global Europe Unpacked the podcast that looks at the global trends affecting the European continent and the growing ambition for the EU to become a global or geopolitical power. I'm your host, Will Murray, and in most episodes we look at a challenge that's facing the EU from a foreign policy perspective. But in this episode we're doing something slightly different. Today we're looking at the Conference on the Future of Europe, an idea that hopes to bring together citizens, organisations, politicians and everybody else that's living within the European Union to speak about the future of the bloc. Decisions that are made at the conference could have major implications for how the EU acts on the world stage. Shortly, I'll be speaking to Robert Mikalev, who's a co-chair for the Working Group on the Future of Europe for the European Network of Political Foundations. We're going to be speaking about what the big idea is behind this, what's currently happening with the conference and various disagreements between the European institutions about how it should be run, and how we can make sure that whatever does happen here has real value. But before we speak to him, I'd like to give you a little bit of basic background about where this idea came from. Here's my colleague Nina. At the end of 2019, a non-paper co-authored by France and Germany put forward a proposal for a conference on the future of Europe. In doing this, they sought to start a conversation on the future of the bloc. It would take place under the shared mandate of the three institutions of the European Union, the Parliament, the Commission and the Council, and would include not only the member states, but also experts and civil society institutions, and most importantly, Europe's citizens. It was envisaged as a conversation where all the issues facing the European Union would be addressed with a view to making the EU more united and sovereign. Meetings were to include discussions around Europe's role in the world, and things like security and defense, climate change, migration, inequality, the rule of law and European values. The conference would focus on EU policy and strategic direction, whilst also addressing issues regarding the EU institutions and how they could be made more efficient, more democratic and more representative of European values. But as we approach the end of 2020, there are a number of questions. When and how will the conference take place? Can we expect it to result in real changes to the way the EU functions and is managed? And importantly, how can citizens contribute to discussions and ensure that their voices are heard? As this discussion will cover a lot about the three EU legislative institutions, for the benefit of some of our listeners, the European Commission is the executive branch of the EU which proposes legislation and implements decisions. The European Parliament is the 705-member directly elected body of the EU which votes on the adoption of legislation, and the Council of the European Union is where the national ministers of each EU country meet to adopt laws and coordinate policies. Now that's clear, let's speak to our guest. So today I'm delighted to be joined by Robert Mikalev. Robert has lectured on European politics for a number of years at the Department of Public Policy of the University of Malta. He has extensive experience in Brussels where he served as a negotiator for Malta's presidency of the Council of the EU. He also worked as an advisor in the European Parliament and as an economist with the European Commission. Robert was also editor for the Eurobarometer surveys published by the Commission. He is currently co-chair of the Working Group on the Future of Europe for the European Network of Political Foundations. Robert, thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you very much, Will. I'm very glad to be here. So, so Robert, I think if you could start by telling us a little bit about what your involvement is within the, the Future of Europe conference, uh, that would be great. 
Yes, well, well, I'm the co-chair of the working group on the future of Europe, which is a dialogue platform for think tanks and political foundations in the European Union. And it's a dialogue that takes place with various partners around the world and with the institutions themselves, mostly the parliament, the commission and the council and with other civil society organizations as well. So we work on many different fields, mostly on democracy issues, sustainable development, political, political dialogue, EU funds. And now with this conference of the future of Europe coming up, we're focusing a lot of our work on, on this and, and making sure that think tanks and political foundations from all political families in Europe will, will have an opportunity to participate and to contribute to, the, to this conference that hasn't started yet, should have started a few months ago, but we'll hope, we'll hope that it will start soon. But this, this is an important initiative of the Commission, which could lead to treaty, treaty change in the future. So it's about the future of all of us, and we need to make sure that as many relevant voices are heard in this uh, conference. Okay, so, so what is the big idea behind this initiative uh, to organize the Conference on the Future of Europe? Um, and you mentioned that it should already have started, but, uh, but when and what form will it now take place? And, and what is the process that leads up to it? Well, the Conference on the Future of Europe is a proposal it's, which is enshrined in the political guidelines of the European Commission. It should be one of the main initiatives of the institutions um, during this Mandate, And there is a consensus that the mandate of this conference should be for two years. So we know that it's, go it's going to take quite a lot of resources and time. Two years is, uh, is, no, is no joke. And it should be a process which will allow for cons a constant interaction between the institutions and the citizens of Europe. So the dynamic of citizen engagement is, I would say, the main innovation compared to previous models of participation that the EU has engaged in from time, from time to time. What is innovative as well is the way the work will be done. I mean, there will be a fusion of online platforms and physical meetings, of course, depending on the restrictions related to the pandemic. But it will be a multilingual digital platform that will, will allow anyone who wants to participate to submit proposals and contributions to the discussions uh, online but also to engage in conferences that are organized physically in, in, in different countries, not just, not just in Brussels, but all over the European Union. So that will, all of that will feed into the, the debate on the future of the EU. There, there's been a lot of preparation done by the institutions. The Council, which represents governments, has put forward a position. The Parliament has had a, lo you know, a long period of intensive exchange amongst the, the political groups and also a special working group that was appointed by the Conference of Presidents. So there is a consensus which has emerged there in the Parliament on some main elements and what the structure should be like, but th that will also be subject to agreement with the Council. The President of the Commission has suggested that the Parliament as the only directly elected institution of the of the of the European Union, should take the lead and and chair and chair the conference. But there is no agreement yet on who exactly should be chairing this conference. So it should have started. The conference should have started on Europe Day on the 9th of May. But partly because of a lack of agreement between the institutions and also because of the coronavirus, this has been postponed. So. We are hoping that the conference will be launched 
before the end of the year. I mean, the German government, which has the presidency of the European Union until the end of the year, is doing its best to make sure that this conference is launched before the end of its presidency. Since it's starting late, I, th I think now there will also have to be an arrangement to make sure that the, the, the end of the conference, the time frame of the conference should be extended as well into 2022 to ensure that there is enough time for proper consultation. So there is a lot of interest, uh, Will, on, on this. Uh, we're all waiting for this to start. And I think this is a very important chance to have an, an inclusive dialogue with, with citizens, you know, uh, together with the EU institutions and, and other organizations about what the future of Europe should be like, especially after the pandemic. You mentioned that, that while, there's, while there is a common mandate uh, for all three of the EU's institutions putting this together, we've seen some level of disagreement between them. Um, so this has been especially visible, as you mentioned, uh, regarding who should lead the conference. So, so what exactly is happening here? And, and is this the main thing that's currently slowing down the process of putting this together, uh, obviously alongside COVID-19? Um, yes, that, that has been quite an issue. Uh, the issue of the chair of the conference has been uh, a difficult one. I mean, the Commission is very happy to have someone from Parliament to, to chair, to be the head of the conference, but the person nominated by Parliament has not been uh, accepted by the Council. I mean, the, the Council, the Member States, have, when they met at the level of ambassadors, they rejected the nomination of Guy Verhofstadt, the former Belgian Prime Minister, who is one of the leading figures of the Liberals or the Renew Group in the, in, in the Parliament. I think the most important thing is that the Council, the Parliament and the Commission agree on a common vision for the conference and, and agree on clear objectives. But of course, there has to be an aim agreed, but I, I don't think that this should be what holds the, the progress. Um, there is a, a clear timetable. The Parliament is going to have a debate in January. The Commission is setting its vision. It will elaborate on this vision around the same time in, in January. Together with the vision of the Council, that will be the basis for engaging in, in this big debate over the follow over the next years on, on how to organise the conference. Well, the, the German Presidency has been doing its utmost to try to find a solution on this question of the chair. You know, since the council has opposed the option of Mr. Verhofstadt, the, you know, a lot of big, big names are being considered, including, for example, Michel Barnier, the exit negotiator for the European Union. So everyone wants a big name, but the most important thing is that there should be an, an agreement. Um, because I, I don't think that the actual person will make a big difference himself or herself, but it's the content and how citizens are engaged, that, that is, what, that is what, what matters, you know, to ensure concrete participation by everyone and to have accountability towards citizens in, in Europe. And, and also one important aspect is the follow-up of the conference will be done in respect to the outcome, in respect to the results of, of the conference, you know, so the Council, the Parliament, the Commission should ensure that the results have an impact on policy making at the European level, because that's that's it's, it's that's what it is about, you know.
Yeah, well, I mean, in, in 2019, French President Emmanuel Macron argued that the conference was to propose all the necessary changes to our political project without taboos, and he even added that not even treaty revision was out of the question. Um, but whilst many have appeared uh, committed to this idea, others less so. So how much change are we likely to see come out of this exercise? And, and what are the biggest things that are up for discussion here? Yes, well... The name of President Macron is very much there in the, in, in, in the background because he, he was the one who came up with, with, this, with this idea. So we have a council which is very reluctant to change the treaties. That is going to be the main stumbling block, I think, because there are voices that are saying, let's have this conference and this, should, this conference should lead to changes in the treaty of the European Union. Yeah. When we say the treaty, that's you know, the highest level of legislation in, in Europe. It's, it's like, a, like some, the closest thing to a constitution. Sure. So there are strong voices in the parliament which are pushing in this direction to have changes in the treaty eventually. But this is not shared, this enthusiasm is not shared by the council. So member states are very reluctant to even consider changes to the European treaties. And this has also been another element that has slowed down the negotiations, uh, if you like. And it will, it, will, it will be there in the background throughout the conference. So Parliament is trying to push hard and Council is trying to slow, slow down. But what is very important is that the Parliament is pushing for a very open and inclusive process to have as many stakeholders involved, to hear as many voices. And the Council is a bit more hesitant on that as well. So the council wants to narrow it down a little bit. The, the coronavirus ha has also been having an impact on the planning for, for the conference. As you know, it, there has been a huge impact on, on the workings of, of, of the institutions with this, with, this, with this pandemic. And that is why a lot of thought has been put into having a digital platform to ensure that the work can go forward, even with digital means. What is important also is that this conference should not just be the result of 27 national debates, you know, public debates in 27 different countries. It should be a European debate, not a series of national debates. And it's, it should, should also ensure that, you know, the focus is on the content and not on, not on personalities. But clearly the key objective is to develop a common understanding of what the future of Europe should be like, you know, what shape it should have. I think most people have an open an open mind about this. Okay, could could you give me some examples of the type of treaty change that certain uh, individuals or groups are are looking to achieve out of this? Uh, so you say that the European Parliament or those within the European Parliament are keen to 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 push the idea of of treaty change to the front of this agenda, or at least the possibility of treaty change um, to, to, to be held within this conference uh, on the future of Europe. Uh, however, uh, others are against it. And um, what types of changes to the treaty are those that are uh, pushing this agenda forwards um, in favour of? Okay, so nobody is talking about specific changes in the treaty. There's still a big debate on whether treaty changes can be contemplated. But in terms of what changes could be proposed, it's a bit too early to say. But this is about the reform of the European institution. So any changes in the treaty would be uh, directed towards improving the ways decisions are taken in the European Union. Some people are comparing the current situation with what happened in Lisbon, in the Lisbon Treaty, where we saw major changes the last set of major changes in how the uh, European Union 
uh, works. So that is something that many member states do not want to go back to. So Ursula von der Leyen, the president of the European Commission, has said that it is her wish that all Europeans will actively contribute to the Conference on the Future of Europe and play a leading role in setting the EU's priorities. And so this is a little bit more about what we've been speaking about here, the involvement of citizenship. And and this has been something which has been emphasised since since the beginning of of this idea. But how exactly can citizens get themselves involved in this? And and how can they make sure that their voices are heard? Well... That's correct. The main objective is to create a conference that is interactive and open and inclusive and that reaches out to as many people as possible. I think the use of digital tools will be key because that will give citizens from all walks of life an equal opportunity to put forward their concerns, you know, and also share their expectations. So we are hoping that enough concrete proposals will be found to improve the way in which the EU works. And then those ideas can then be taken on board by the institutions and the member states. If I can share some points that we have put forward as a European network of political foundations and as a working group on the future of Europe, we we have submitted a number of recommendations to the institutions about what kind of ideas should be considered as fundamental for the for the success of this conference. So among the points we are making is that there should be a broad participation of civil society from all the EU member states while having a gender balance and also including all disadvantaged and minority groups. We are also recommending that there should be a bottom-up approach and an eye-level cooperation when consulting with citizens and citizen organizations. That is the only thing that can ensure genuine dialogue. We want to have a strong participation of youth organizations from all member states. And also we are urging institutions to make use of the role of political foundations as bridge builders, you know, and uh, the importance of having representations from civil society, think tanks, academia, and all the political actors. That is, I think, important. And also the need to have innovative formats for inclusion of civil, civil society. And to raise awareness amongst citizens to ensure that there are the right interlinkages between internal and external policies of, of the European Union. So uh, we are pushing for an inclusive dialogue and also to have citizen consultations in parallel in all the member states. And then finally, we're saying we're saying that there should be a proper evaluation of the conference and a, and a concrete follow-up on all the proposals made by part- participants, taking into consideration all the possible changes that could be contemplated in the, in the future in the EU institutions if they are seen to lead to better policies and to more effective decision-making in the EU in future. Okay, so as you mentioned... You mentioned there that uh, you've you've given this list of uh, proposals or, or advice to to the to the European Union and the institutions. Um, but do you feel that there's a risk that this conference could become a victim of the Brussels work culture, which is obsessed with the process of ticking boxes rather than achieving results? And um, so, 
On top of what you guys are already proposing, how can Europe's think tanks, media and civil society, civil society contribute to making sure that there's a genuine debate that occurs here and actually that, uh, that there can be some, some changes positively that can occur within the European Union? Yes, well, that's a very important point. And the conference should have a clear objective, clear follow-up, and we should avoid having a dialogue format that doesn't lead to any concrete outcome. That's definitely uh, true. And I had followed, you know, the last major initiative of this kind was the Convention on a European Constitution that was organized in the 90s. And that was a big formal gathering of, uh, you know, big, big names with big debates, very worthy ideas and proposals. But I think there was very little consultation with stakeholders and... We want to avoid, you know, I think it's important to avoid losing contact with the concrete realities of our societies and also of getting nation states to cooperate with each other on, on a give and take basis, which is what normally happens. I think that's, that's, that's important. So we shouldn't, it should definitely be a process, uh, not just based on theoretical ideas about federalism, but on the contrary, it should be related to the day-to-day -day aspirations of people. So um, there is a danger that the discussion, the tasks that could realistically be achieved by tomorrow are lost in the talk and in the talk about grand visions of, of Europe. So that should be avoided because if it is not, then I think that issues that are very important for our societies, I mean, what people are talking about, you know, let's, for example, the problem of immigration, the banking union, progress in combating climate change, the promotion of real equality at all levels. These should be at the heart of discussions and these are important now and they, will, they are important for the future of, of Europe. And what we want to achieve as well is that the conference feeds the work that it does into the, into the institutions. So, so this will require exchange between citizens and MPs and all the other elected representatives at all levels. So if there is no proper understanding of people's needs and priorities, then I think that there would be a serious prob problem in finding ways of how, how to put them in, into action. So I agree there with you, I will. Thank you for highlighting these things, Robert, because I think it's important to keep our eye on the ball and, and to acknowledge the fact that this is really to do with a discussion on these issues that do affect the citizens and those living within the European Union. But thank you very much for sharing your insights on this. And uh, hopefully next time we speak, there'll be a bit more development on this. Thank you very much, Will. It's been a pleasure. So thanks again there to Robert for his time. So to summarise, the Conference on the Future of Europe is not a conference in the traditional sense, which would take place in one location over the course of several days, but more of a two-year discussion, taking place both digitally and in person, between all the various voices, big and small, institutions and politicians, citizens and organisations, living within the EU. But whilst there's clearly an appetite within the EU for such a measured discussion on all the decisions that need to be made regarding the future of the bloc, and especially considering the myriad changes brought on by the COVID-19 pandemic, the separate institutions of the Union are in disagreement on certain issues, such as who should chair the conference. In this case, as this individual is unlikely to make a huge difference to the shape of the conference, the institutions must not allow something that's largely symbolic to lead to any further delays. As Robert says, for the Conference on the Future of Europe to be a success, the institutions must agree on a common vision as to how it will take shape. 
Citizens must then wholeheartedly engage in the process throughout its duration. And crucially, the outcomes of the conversations must then form the basis for the changes that are made to the Union. This is a rare opportunity for EU citizens to tell the bloc directly which direction they would like to go in, and it will only work if they do so. As Robert also said, the Germans currently hold the rotating presidency of the Council of the EU and have expressed a real desire to get this thing started before the presidency transfers to another member state at the beginning of 2021. So hopefully this willingness can get the initiative up and running in the not-too-distant future. On next week's episode of Global Europe Unpacked, we're going to be looking at the Organisation for Security and Cooperation in Europe, the world's largest security-oriented intergovernmental organisation. We will discuss the various challenges that have faced the OSCE over the last few years and what its future looks like. If you would like more news, analysis and commentary on the EU and its neighbourhood, please do visit our website www.commonspace.eu. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please consider following or subscribing to us so you can ensure that you'll never miss an episode. And if you think we're worth it, do give us five stars. As always, thanks for listening. Global Europe Unpacked is a commonspace.eu podcast produced and recorded in The Hague, the Netherlands.